Fromer Travel Show. I'm your host, Pauline Fromer. I'm so glad to be talking to you this week. Just a reminder that in between these shows, you can always find us on Fromers.com. We're putting our heart and soul and expertise into that site, into creating a lot of articles about our culture and about world cuisine and about history And yes, about travel, because someday we will be traveling again. To talk a little bit more about when we might be traveling, I've invited my colleague, Jason Cochran, back to the show. Hey, Jason, welcome back. Hello. Nice to be here again. How are you doing? I'm doing great. And you're doing great, especially on Fromers.com with what you're writing. You wrote a really, really helpful article, which I would sum up as okay, the vaccines are here. Now what? When will we be able to travel again? Is that a fair way to put it? I mean, isn't that what people are wondering? They're wondering, okay, first, they're wondering how I'm going to get my hands on that vaccine. But second, they're wondering, once I get it, can I start flying? Can we all start flying as soon as it's, you know, in our arms? I thought there was a question that seemed to be coming up a lot, and I wasn't seeing a lot of answers to it. So I wrote a feature about that for Fromers.com. So what is the answer? When w- or is there an answer? Does this just add, you know add more questions to it? Well, there are a lot of questions, but taken together they form an answer, just probably not the answer we want. Here's what I mean. I mean, we we there's certain things we don't know quite yet about the vaccine. We know that it stops you from getting sick in most cases, as much as 95% of the time, um, especially the Moderna one. We don't know if uh, that means you're, you can get the virus and still transmit it to others without knowing. Hmm. We don't know if you'll need more vaccine later on um, after your dose or two, whichever vaccine you take is prescribed. We don't know if you need a, another one in a year yet. So there's a lot we don't know about whether you can still be a vector for the disease, even if you've had the vaccine. And that informs, I think, the knowledge of or the answer of whether you should be traveling immediately. What I'm learning from governments is even though a lot of people are going to be getting the vaccines, uh, they're not willing to suspend masks, social distancing, and in some countries' cases, quarantining upon arrival for the near term until they get enough of the vaccines in enough of the population that the the, the, the likelihood of getting uh, transmitting the disease from one person to another becomes much lower. Basically, we've all heard of that phrase, herd immunity. Right. We're now looking for that, but through the vaccines. And most of your governments in the world are still not going to be willing to completely open the floodgates, even with vaccines, until they deem mathematically a significant number of the population is now protected. We don't even know so about said- that number by the way, yeah. yeah, how many people need to be protected yet. You said earlier you're learning for, from governments. So in order to research this article, what you've just told us, where did that information come from? Well, for example, in Australia, which has one of the more conservative, I would say, uh, sets of policies when it comes to travel and COVID-19. They recently, uh, the Australian Medical Association told reporters recently that Even after the vaccine's in place, he's still going to keep that 14-day arrival quarantine system for the reasons I I just explained. You know, you can still possibly transmit the virus even though you might have the vaccine in your body. And he's going to wait until herd immunity is reached. And he's not just the one making the decisions. In Australia's case, each state or province makes its own choices about quarantining. And most of the leaders of the Australian states have said, yep, we're going to keep those quarantines for the time being. 
And you could be able to travel. You'll probably be protected. Will governments let you travel yet because they're still afraid of you bringing the virus? No. So that's the two halves of the, of the question. Right. You can, but you may not. Now, we're guessing right now what that herd immunity target is. You know, for polio, it was, it was not uh, something like 70%, I want to say. Because it, polio, no, it's about 80% because it's a little harder to transmit polio, but it's easier to get COVID-19, especially with the new strains. So they're anticipating it might be, be around 80, 85% uh, penetration of, for herd immunity before governments are really ready to let their guards down. Is anybody hazarding a guess as to dates when this might happen? I mean, will people be traveling more in the summer or in the coming fall? Or are we really looking at 2022 or heaven help us 2023? I couldn't find anyone in a position of authority who was willing to hazard something so specific. A lot of them were saying vague things like, we hope late in the year we'll be approaching normal. But that's as the specific as they got. A lot of it depends on, well, a couple of things. Well, it depends on how many people are going to take the vaccine. And it right. depends on how well the government distributes it, what it's, it's been failing miserably at in many countries, including the United States. And it depends sure. on whether the strains of COVID-19 continue to mutate to become more transmissible, because that will affect that target, a percentage of herd immunity. It'll go up. Wow. Well, I have to see light at the end of this there tunnel. There is light to- at the end of the tunnel. This is the nitty gritty of of how far that light away is. There is light at the end of the tunnel. It's not another train. We have have vaccines (laughs) going in arms right now. We have a government that is stepping up, at least the United States' case, really actively trying to fix all the problems that have surfaced in the last month of distribution. It's, it's, it's partly a race against the strains as they mutate. But as, as of the moment, we believe the vaccine still covers you from for even the new strains of COVID-19 that we have. Uh, so yes, there's light at the end of the tunnel. It's normalcy is on its way. The sooner we can get the vaccine into everybody, the, the, the sooner we'll all be able to travel. And that's just the bottom line. Yeah. Well, there's one commercial organization that is acting like it's not seeing light at the end of the tunnel. It might be that it's just so shaky financially. I'm talking about Norwegian Airlines, which for a long time had been the best friend of the budget traveler because their prices were jaw-droppingly low. But Jason, what's the latest news on Norwegian? More bad news. Yeah, Norwegian was in trouble even before the pandemic began. And it just finally, here. this the second week of January, just gave up. It said, we, we can't continue to serve American cities. It started out serving local European continental domestic slash routes. It's now going to go back to that. It had started the American wing about five years ago and was offering you know $99 each way to Europe and plus fees for bags and things like that. And like you said, it was fantastic news for budget travelers. There were many, many people who were able to see Europe who ordinarily wouldn't have been able to afford it because the major carriers that we know, the deltas of the world, were charging three times as much. But Norwegian right. just couldn't do it. They um, COVID-19 wasn't the only problem. It was buying lots of airplanes. It was expanding probably too quickly for it to be able to handle. And it just sort of, it just gave up the ghost. But the rest of the airline, the one that serves Europe is going to stay intact because the way it's structured, the expansion, technically the American version was sort of like a wing of, of Norwegian itself. So Norwegian will, will live on in Europe and maybe it'll live to expand another day, but not any likely anytime soon. Unfortunately, it's going away. Well, it's going to be interesting to see if what will happen with pricing? Because a lot of people are saying they think business travel is not going to return anytime soon, partially because 
we've all gotten used to do using Zoom and other technologies to replace in-person business meetings. And because the airlines so unashamedly rooked business travelers and charged them so much money, what they paid often underwrote what the rest of us paid. So without business travel and without competition from carriers like Norwegian, I am very worried that prices may skyrocket to Europe. Yeah. And without volume, which is what, you know, we were able to fly lots and lots before the pandemic. And I think we're going to be slow to return to that volume for many reasons. One of them being anxiety about travel, but one of them just being money. We're all, a lot of us are entering difficult times. We're not going to have that kind of cash. I think you're right. Prices will go up, uh, at least in the short term. But, you know, these things are always cyclical. And in a few years after that happens, more low cost carriers will start up to try again. So I think we will be entering a period of higher fares, but I don't know if it's going to be forever. That being said, we've we've found some great airfares. Uh, American Airlines is doing this daily deal thing with jaw dropping, good low airfares uh, to Europe. In fact, if you're hearing this podcast before January 19th, their sale is still still going on, and we have no affiliation with American Airlines whatsoever. But I was very impressed that they have airfares to Europe for four hundred dollars round trip from a number of. American cities and for late fall. Yeah, that's when, for the late summer and fall. Non-refundable, unfortunately. So if you buy one, yeah. you're going to have to stick to it. But um, right. but you know, taken in tandem with the news about the vaccines, we're now starting to make educated guesses about maybe things will start to start get a little bit better by then. We hope. Right. And so, if you are going to be able to fly, then. We have advice up on fromers.com about not what not to put in your carry-on bag. And this this article made me laugh out loud. Yeah, Jason wrote a piece about the 10 items that will get you stopped when you're going through yeah, TSA security. Like we know about guns and, and right. you know, aerosols and stuff, not those things. The things that are completely innocuous that you would never think would present a problem but do. Like chapstick. Chapstick. That shocked me. Why Why would anybody get stopped for chapstick? Well, if you're like me, you carry too many of them. I have been an addict. I've been a chapstick addict since I was in third grade. And I would lick my lips so much I had scabs on my face. And ever since then, I've been addicted. I don't smoke, but chapstick I do. Huh. So, But if you have too many of them, because it's like uh, oil. It's, it's organic matter, essentially. And anytime you cluster organic matter together, it's going to make the sensors at the TSA checkpoint raise the eyebrows. Because organic matter, fertilizer, for example, can, can be dangerous. So if you have too many of them together in tube form, which is like sort of like this mechanical, through the scanner, it kind of looks like this mechanical stuff because it's in a tube. It, it can trigger, you know? So right. you got to be careful right. not to. Yeah. I put my chapstick all around my luggage now because in Europe I got stopped and I was so embarrassed to be outed as this chapstick addict, which I've now done again on this podcast. <laughs> and apologies for the ringing phone. Like everyone else, I'm working from home. So who knows who's calling? My guess is it's 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 uh, somebody telling me about a failed warranty on the car I don't own. I just think but, it's adorable uh, that you still have a landline. <laughs> <laughs> I do, of course I do. Anyway, so what are what? So that's that was a surprise chapstick, but that kind of plays into the what is a liquid argument that the TSA has made very concrete. Yes. Well, someone was joking. What about Newtonian liquids, which is it's sort of something that, that'll, that'll move very slowly if you tip it. 
And I, they don't like those either. Uh, they consider salsa, honey, uh, yogurt, peanut butter. guacamole, and peanut butter. Um, yeah, you're only allowed technically to carry 3.4 ounces of peanut butter, according to the official guidance of the TSA. So, you know, I once again, another time I was embarrassed, I used to buy, buy this pimento cheese spread in the South when I was visiting the South and take it home. And I was stopped at the TSA and they threw away maybe five cans of it or five can containers of it because they thought it was a liquid, even though it was clearly a cheese spread and I had to, to do without it. So that does happen quite a lot. Again, organic material, though. Uh, I, yeah. I should have known better. I should have packed it in my checked bag and it maybe wouldn't have been a problem. But another thing we all had to deal with is, is cords, you know, because we all have so many things to charge up. If you sure. bunch all those cords together, which you you know might do to sort of know where they all are at the same time, it, it's a rat's nest of wires. And that looks really suspicious when it goes to the skin. Huh. So and that also I have also been stopped more in Europe for that. Try to spread out your various cords so they're not all together looking like a coil of electronics, you know, like like this, like you've built something you shouldn't have with you. Right. All right. So list the, uh, well, actually go to farmers.com if you want to read the others. I mean, those are, those were the most interesting to me. I have one funny uh, joke that you'll see when lightsabers, a la Star Wars, actually right. called out by name on the TSA website as something that is allowed. <laughs> you can have a lightsaber, probably because they're science fiction. Right, right. Uh, that's very funny. All right, before we let you go, one last item uh, that you wrote about recently the made me mad, yeah. made me angry. Key West. We announced in a lot of lot of things happened in the last election beyond who was elected president or to the Congress. Uh, there were a lot of measures that passed. Pot became legal in a lot more states. And the folks in Key West voted no more cruise ships. Two to but one. Now, two to one. They two voted to one. no it was large huge. cruise ships. They're okay with yeah. cruise ships. They just don't want these massive things coming in. And they also had, they voted in some environmental protections for the cruise ships as well. Yeah. Right. But that now, now Florida's government is saying to heck with what you people want. What we want is, well, maybe I'm putting that too, too boldly. Well, you know, if you know anything about Key West, which of course is the last island at the end of the Florida Keys, it has always had its own distinctive, iconoclastic personality. For a while, it was joking that it was its own country called the Conk Republic, named after the Conk people. <laughs> so they've always been a people who forged their own ways. And this has been the case since the 1800s when it was a wrecking community. And so they voted, they said, we're so tired of these giant cruise ships. It's a, yeah, they, it's a cute little town. It can't really you know, um, ably handle three, 4,000 people pouring off of a ship. And so they, that's why there were locals who got together and, and voted for this. And they voted for it two to one. Now, I, ha I happen to know a lot of people in Key West. My family had been going there since the 1970s. And I know several business owners from the town who hate the cruise ships. Because they huh. say people come off the ship, they'll either spend money at a bar that is right there, right by the sh cruise ships, or they'll jump on the little train that takes them around the island. So basically the same one or two big cats is making all the money off of these people, and they never wander further away and spend any money in the shops. They just aren't curious, is what the local co locals complain about, about the cruise ships. They say they add nothing, they t and they destroy this, the town while they're here. So that that's sort of like the backstory. A lot of the locals, right. except for the very rich fat cats who are making the most off of these things, are just done with it, and they think it spoils the community. So Plus, it's a progressive community, and so they were very aware of the e 
ecological damage Which is that the cruise ships were doing. The bleaching that's been happening on the reefs around Key West has been going on for decades. You know, they've they've made a real effort to turn Key West around. In the seventies, when I was a kid, this is a diversion. There was a there was a turtle soup factory. And the whole town huh. smelled like turtle soup all the time. And now you can't even imagine people killing sea turtles to make soup. Uh, but they did back in the day, and it was a major industry there. So they've done a lot to make this town more responsible than it had been in, in days of yore when Hemingway had lived there. But there's a, there's a politician from Sarasota area, Bradenton. It's about six-hour drive away, seven, from Key West. He's the one, uh, it's a Republican, who has introduced the Senate Bill 426, which says that, no, no, no. Local government can't decide if there's this, uh, what ships come into the seaports. The state gets to decide that. And the, because the Florida Senate is Republican and so is the House and so is the governor, I would say, you know, from this current vantage point where it's still just a bill and not a law, that it it has a pretty good chance of passing, um, wow. which I think is dismaying. You have locals deciding what's good for their little tiny town, you know, where no buildings are taller than, than two or three levels. And being decided by Tallahassee, which is a whole full day's drive away, um, it kind of goes back to that whole argument of like, you know, what's the local vote important or is it a is it something that the higher ups at the uh, uh, higher levels of government should be able to, to, to change? Well, I'm assuming and this is my cynicism that the folks in uh, Tallahassee and in the government are getting a lot of money from the cruise oh, lines. They, they probably get huge campaign donations. Unquestionably. And this is a big deal for the cruise industry, by the way, because if you take Key West off of the itineraries, that really changes what the cruise lines are going to be able to offer on their runs when you take a week-long Caribbean cruise. Key West used to be one of the stops. It was also an American stop, which was very important for legal reasons. And now the cruise is going to have to replace that Key West day, if this holds, with a day at sea, which might not be that bad for some people, or another day at one of the private islands that these cruise ship cruise lines own, where you're captive to them for a day. So it's really going to change the way, uh, you know, of Caribbean vacations go if you're taking a Western Caribbean cruise. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jason, for appearing again on the Travel Show. Uh, my next guest is going to be Bill McGee of Consumer Reports. So so uh, we'll, we'll be right back with Bill. Welcome, Bill, to the Frommer Travel Show. Thanks so much, Pauline. It's always a pleasure. Well, as I said in the last segment, we have with us Bill McGee. He is the Aviation Advisor for Consumer Reports, but for the Advocacy Office. And Bill, you put out a press release just recently that made my heart sing. It looks like bumping is going to be a sin of the past. Is that fair to say? Uh, yes, it's also fair to say that my heart was singing right alongside yours. Let me tell you, <laughs> um, we did not see this coming. Uh, I think you'll recall, most people will recall the infamous Dr. Dow incident in 2017. It was four years ago now that that gentleman in uh, you know, on a United Express flight in Chicago was literally dragged off a flight because they wanted his seat after he had already boarded. Right. He was given a concussion and beaten and dragged off by guards. And there was no reason for that whatsoever. So about a month after that, uh, I was the, the lone consumer advocate who testified alongside five airline executives in Congress. And uh, expressing on behalf of Consumer Reports, we said, this is ridiculous. This has been going on for far too long. The burden for an overbooked flight should not be on the passenger. It should be on the airline. And uh, so we laid out a bunch of stuff that we would have liked to have seen 
And to be honest, for the last four years, it's been on a far back burner. Sure. And then suddenly, with about 10 days left in the Trump administration, the DOT secretary, Elaine Chao, stepped down. And one day after she stepped down, lo and behold, a final rule was put forth by the DOT. And so we will take it. And most, well, of, most of the, I'm sorry, I was just going to say, most of the things that we talked about in 2017 in Congress have now come to pass. Well, let's talk about what has come to pass first, but then I want to return to who you think is responsible for this rule change, because to me, that's a big mystery. But let's let's talk first about what this means for consumers when we do start flying again. Absolutely. Because I'm, I'm assuming nobody's being bumped right now because nobody's flying. Well, you know, it's funny you say that because, you know, we all know that that airline traffic has dropped, you know, dramatically from this time last year. Right. And yet, don't forget that an awful lot of aircraft have been parked in the desert and a lot of crew members have been, you know, uh, furloughed and, and have sure. taken leaves. So many flights are still pretty full, even though the overall uh-huh. numbers are small. So having said that, the, one of the key provisions in the new rule is that it, there's a, a prohibition now on involuntary bumping if you've already boarded the airplane. Yeah, and I so, love that. That's you know, great. Once you, once you get, a, in fact, the wording even says in the, in the legalese, once a ticket agent has you know, taken your boarding pass, you cannot be taken off that aircraft. Another key thing is that there is no ceiling now on the amount of money that an airline can offer for voluntary bumping. And so that was the, you know, that's sort of the crux of what I was saying in Congress four years ago is, look, if you have 100 people on a flight and you need a seat, if you keep what they call a reverse auction, if you keep bringing the numbers up and say, well, you know, would someone like to give up their seat for $500, $1,000? Now there's no ceiling. Trust me, you'll get to a number that somebody on that plane will say, yes, I'll take it. When you right. get to $5,000, somebody's going to say, sure. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, and then they, you know, they clarified a lot of the language. They also uh, now include foreign airlines operating within the United States. Another big win. Huge. And they, they increased the, the DOT increased the, the compensation. And so it went from the minimum compensation, that is from $675 up to $775 uh, for shorter delays and from $1,350 to $1,550 for longer delays. And then um, on top of that, they even threw into the mix that they raised the compensation, the minimum, the, the maximum compensation for mishandled baggage from $3,500 to $3,800. So we were uh, stunned and happy. And uh, at Consumer Reports, as you say, we put out a press release saying, well, we're applauding the DOT, uh, right. whoever it is that did this. <laughs> well, that's the, yeah, because it, it's what is known as a midnight regulation. I wrote about this on Fromers.com and the Trump administration has been putting out a lot of midnight regulations, but most of them are not very consumer friendly. Most no. of them are are on the side of business. So I, my theory is that uh, acting secretary, uh, 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 what is his name? He, he has the Bradbury. I, yeah, I keep thinking right. of him as Ray Bradbury, right. the science yeah. fiction writer, because this feels like science fiction to me. I think he went rogue. Well, you know what? That's a good theory. Um, I'll, <laughs> I'll throw something else into the mix for you. Okay, Pauline, think about sure. this too, is we have had a very, very tough year on behalf of consumer advocates with the airline industry and with this DOT. And um, I'm going to be very blunt. Secretary Elaine Chow could not have done less for consumers hmm. during, right. during this pandemic. 
And we, we and other consumer advocates met with DOT staff repeatedly. She's the only DOT secretary who has never met with consumer advocates in her entire term, four years. Wow. Um, so that says something right there. And we said repeatedly, we asked for, for very basic stuff. Could you please put some mandatory health protocols in place for masks, for social distancing, et cetera? We have the Wild West right now. Um, you know, every airline in the United States and every airport in the United States can see fit to do whatever they think is best. Some are doing a good job. Let's be very fair. Others are not. And so we asked repeatedly, and the, the answer came back from her office time and time again. So here's the other thing that's, that, that I'm going to throw into the mix. The people that we interact with at the DOT, um, these are the career people. These are not political sure. appointees. These are their, they, you know, they've been there through three, four, five presidents. Most of them are very smart, very knowledgeable, very dedicated. And, you know, another theory is that suddenly there's an acting secretary who may not be up to speed on some of these issues. And, you know, the career people said, listen, uh, we've had this rule pending. It was clearly already written up and, and ready to go. And let's send it out there. And they did. And by the way, that, to be clear, this is a final rule. It's not a proposal for a rule. <laughs> you have to then go through I a long it. process of commenting right. and all that. It's done. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes in life you get a victory and you declare a victory and you say, let's move on, you know. So but the we're, we're DOT, hoping for more, though. We're hoping for much more. Yes, yes. Well, the, the DOT itself has not announced this rule. I haven't seen it anywhere but in your press release and our coverage exactly of your right. press release. Right. Why is that? Well, that's a great point, too. I've been scouring the site for days saying, well, when is this going to be, you know, uh, put up there for the So public? how did you find out that it's we happening? found out because one of those, uh, career staffers that we talked about um, gave a heads up to uh, yeah. consumer advocates and they sent us, there's no announcement, as you say, no press release. They sent us a PDF of the fine print that goes into the federal register. Now, Pauline, you and I've known each other a long time. You know, I'm about as big an aviation geek as there is, but even I don't read the federal register every day. <laughs> yeah, that's, right. that's for hardcore people that don't have much else to do in their life. And so, you know, obviously, if, if they hadn't given us a heads up, we, we, we still wouldn't even know it. Wow. Wow. All right. Well, let's start. Let's we don't want to end this because I, I want to ask also what what's coming up, hopefully under the Biden administration. But congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. This yeah. is a huge win. And, and thank you to whoever did this. <laughs> so what else are the big things that you're fighting for? I would assume a lot have to do with the pandemic right now. And yes, that, uh, absolutely. Yeah. I'd say that, you know, in terms of my work for Consumer Reports, probably 80% of my work or more in the last year, and, and many of my colleagues at Consumer Reports, has been about two things related to the pandemic. One is the health protocols that we briefly discussed, you know, mandatory masks, et cetera. Think about when you get on an airplane, and a flight attendant says, you know, federal, federal regulations uh, indicate that you need to uh, put on your seatbelt. And the difference between that and a flight attendant saying, you know, our airline would really like it if you put on a mask, but you would make yeah. us really happy, you know. So we've asked for mandatory protocols. Now, the good news is President-elect Biden, soon to be President Biden, has said twice, once before the election and once after, that one of his very first things that he's going to do in office is he's going to uh, require mandatory masks for all federal uh, interstate transportation. So that includes airlines and, right. and buses and Amtrak. So, you know, holding him to his word on that, that's great news. We, we need to see more 
uh, mandatory rules on, on health protocols. To me, quite frankly, it's stunning that Secretary Chow didn't, didn't impose even one mandatory rule having to do with anything, having to do with this deadly virus. Right. Um, well, so, And beyond what Consumer Reports was doing, I remember, I think it was in around May or June, a coalition of 33 unions, people who work on ferries, on Amtrak, on buses, on planes, begged the Department of Transportation to issue guidelines. And then you had many of the CEOs of the major airlines saying, please, issue some rules. We need consumers to feel more confident about flying. And, and that's where the federal government could come in and still crickets. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, I, I mean, I have to say a lot of those airline CEOs, I've crossed swords with them many times in recent years. And, you know, they have wanted uh, a DOT secretary who is so laissez-faire that they can basically do whatever they want. Well, be careful right. what you wish for, right? Because <laughs> yeah. this is not helping the industry. It's not helping, you know, the people that work in the industry and the front lines who I have tremendous sympathy for, but it's not helping the CEOs and their bottom line either because so many letters that we're getting at Consumer Reports are saying, I'm not getting back on a plane. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm too concerned about this and there's no rules in place. So, um, and the other thing that we've been working on related to the pandemic is refunds uh, for yeah. you know, flights that um, either were canceled or for people that said, well, my flight hasn't technically been canceled, but my doctor is telling me not to go or my mayor and my governor are telling me not to leave home. It's really been disgraceful to be, to be quite honest with you, how the airline industry accepted, you know, taxpayer money from you and me and everyone else, a bailout, and then did not provide refunds for all those who deserve them. So those have been two fights that we've been having from day one. We're certainly hoping that the Biden administration is going to come in and straighten some of these things out. And then, of course, I could talk with you for several days about the other things on our laundry list. But there are some other key things related to safety and related to passenger rights. You know, um, give me one of them. What's sure, what's the top of the map? Sure. We spent a lot of energy in 2019, just before the pandemic, talking about the issue that I spoke about with you and your dad about uh, a year and a half ago. And that was um, families being seated separately, believe it or not, with oh, children yeah. as young as four, three, two years old and having to pay a fee to sit with your two year old. I mean, I know it sounds absurd and I know there are people shaking their heads saying, oh, this guy's making that up. We're not. We have hundreds of letters. We did a we did a Freedom of Information Act request with the DOT and we found complaints, children with autism, young children, you know, that um, airlines are saying, well, you're in row, you know, 19 and your five-year-old is in row 26. And so we want to see that be eradicated. You should not have to pay an extra fee to have a, a young child sit with you for multiple reasons. And I remember when you came on, you said there had been some allegations that pedophilia had, had occurred. You know, that's been in the news because it's the big conspiracy theory. Here's actual cases where it probably happened. And, and in fact, there's uh, the FBI did a, did, a, did a report looking into in-flight in -flight sexual assaults, which shockingly have been going up in recent years, just in the United States. And um, of course, children are you know at the top of the list for vulnerability. So, I mean, it's just absurd to think that, you know, a family of three buys tickets and, um, you know, the mother is in one row and the father's in another and a four-year-old is sitting by, by him or self, himself or herself. It's, it's ridiculous. Well, I can cut this last question or we'll leave it in, but is Consumer Reports stable? 
do you guys have enough money to keep doing your good work or are you looking for contributions right now? Well, in fact, uh, Consumer Reports is always uh, looking for contributions. I think you know our model. There's no advertising. There's no corporate funding of any kind. Sure. So it's a different type of model for magazines and for consumer organizations. And um, I'm 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 approaching my 21st uh, anniversary soon. I started wow. in 2000. Either as you could drink soon. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. Um, believe me, I've been doing that all along. Um, but uh, yeah, so um, you know the fact where where I think an awful lot of people recognize you know how important the work is, and they and they they make contributions, or they'll you know subscribe to the magazine or online. But yes, it's 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 it's. it's it's a squeaky clean organization. I can tell you that. I've been there long enough. They fact checkers drive me crazy. They always make sure everything's accurate. They've ruined many of my weekends, but it's all for good, you know. So thank you for uh, for pointing that out. It's uh, sure. you know it's a nonprofit, and anyone that wants to contribute can do so. Yeah, well, you do such such good work, and you're having successes in that work, which is as important as doing the work. You know, you want to see results. Results have now been shown. Thank you so much, Bill, for uh, appearing on the Travel Show. And I want to thank all our listeners for listening. We will be back next week. See you then.